Hello, my name is Charles Wright, and welcome to the Complete in Christ podcast, where we endeavor to fit the pieces of our lives together according to the Word of God. We've just kicked off this new series called Get Right Church and Let's Go Home, exploring the phenomenon where believers and non-believers have become disillusioned with the church because of their inability to reconcile their notion of what the church is and what it should be about with their observation of and experience within a local church body. Last episode, we fleshed out further the meaning of communal life in general, but more specifically, communal life within the church. In this episode, we're going to talk about how only a true local church can create the communal life that Christ intended for his church. So let's get to it. Now, we've got a couple of pieces that uh, we've been talking about throughout this series and, and been trying to bring together to kind of flesh out this whole notion of of church hurt and individuals' expectations of what the church is supposed to be and what the communal life of a church is supposed to be and reconciling that with what their experience within the local church has been. And part of trying to address that, or at least give us a rationale for why this can happen and is happening and has happened, we've been, like I said, pulling together a couple of different pieces. We've talked about how the universal church is different than the local church, and how everyone who is physically in attendance at a local church, everyone who comes to a building on Sunday morning or midweek service or Saturday evening uh, may not necessarily be a member of the universal church. Remember, the universal church, as described in Scripture, really has some key um, characteristics. One, it's described as being the body of Christ, with, of course, Christ being the head. It includes all born-again believers throughout all time and in every geographic location uh, from the past to the present and even into the future. And most importantly, it consists of only those who have been regenerated by the Holy Spirit. We're not talking about people who have just been at church for a long time. We're not talking about people who are just wanting to be better citizens. We're not talking about the church consisting of individuals who are looking for ways to uh, be more spiritual, air quotes, uh, you can't see, but air quotes in the air around that term. But we're really talking about individuals whose lives have been changed, whose hearts have been changed supernaturally by the Holy Spirit. And to push that even further, this notion that everybody who's at the local church is not necessarily a part of the universal church, we talked about and we explored the three groups that are actually found within every local church. Those three groups being the unsaved, and unchurched, the unsaved and churched, and then the saved. And how, while all these groups are made up of sinners, right? There's sinners in each one of these groups. It's only the saved group that has the Holy Spirit that's working within them to produce different outcomes than what their sinful natures would normally yield. And we talked about that, that everyone has the sinful nature, sinful desires, sinful urges, but the saved group actually has the Holy Spirit at work through a process called sanctification, bringing about different outcomes of the nature that they have inside of them now that is working against that sinful nature. These are the fruits of the Spirit that Paul talks about in Galatians. 
And it's within that context that you're getting changed outcomes, different outcomes, more Christ-like outcomes. But again, because you've got these three groups in the local church, it creates some tension on the communal life of that church. And then last week, right, we explored what communal life means, what it is and, and what it looks like according to Scripture. But specifically, we used Acts, uh, the second chapter, verses 42 through 47, as what I asserted during that time as a descriptive text of what the early church was doing right after Christ's resurrection. Um, but I also said that it provides prescriptive principles for all churches throughout all time, namely those principles being that the early believers were, and as such, all church believers and all churches everywhere should be about um, being devoted to the apostles' teaching, to being devoted to the fellowship and the breaking of bread together, and being devoted to prayers. And again, not to rehash the uh, entire episode, but check out last week's episode, and, and we really go into uh, in depth about those three things, about the descriptive nature of them, but the more prescriptive part and what that should look like in our contemporary churches. And for the church today, right, we talked about uh, that we should be likewise devoted to the authoritative teaching of the apostles as it's been handed down through the canon of scripture, that we should be devoted to fellowshipping or associating with other believers in an intimate and in a transparent way, doing life with one another and lastly, that believers should be devoted to prayer, prayer for believers inside and outside of their local community and for the lost. Ultimately, that their eyes, that is the lost, their eyes may be open to the truth of the knowledge of Jesus Christ. And then they would in turn enter into the universal church. But the whole premise of, of this series, right, is that there is a disconnect between the communal life experience of some individuals in some local churches and what we've been talking about should be the communal life experience within the local church. And what I'd like to do or what I want to do is, is in an effort to provide kind of a framework for addressing that disconnect is to now take two things that we've talked about, namely the different groups that are within a local church, the unsaved and unchurched, the unsaved and churched, and then the saved, and the devotion to the right teaching and the uh, right preaching of God's word that we see in the early church in Acts 2, and really begin to now explore and tease out uh, the way that these two things are handled within a local church, that the manner in which these two things are handled really directly shape the communal life of that local church. Now, early in the series, as mentioned before, we talked about there being a difference between the universal church and the local church, and we rehearsed that even in this episode just a few minutes ago. And there is a, a, a distinction that I think uh, needs to also be made about kind of the true church, which oftentimes is considered the universal church. And as we stated, right, the church is not just a group of believing people coming together. It, it has a purpose and it has a mission that is both inward and outward facing. The church is to be a, a place where believers gather to minister to each other in community. And it then becomes the launching pad for ministering the gospel to unbelievers. I mean, think about that, right? This is uh, the, the the idea is not that the church is 
just a location um, that provides activities or a a place that addresses maybe um, needs that are within the community where that church is housed. And, and it's not to say that it does not do that. Hear me out when I say that. I'm not saying that churches should not be concerned about the Jerusalems that they are planted in. But what I am saying is, is that the church is to be a place where believers gather to minister to each other in community, doing life with one another. And then in turn, it becomes a launching pad for those believers who have who have poured into one another, who have been receiving the the apostles teaching like we talked about. They were devoted to the apostles teaching. They've fellowship together with other believers in communal life. They've uh, been prayed up, so to speak. And now they go back out into the world, engaging unbelievers. And the church plays a role in that as well, uh, too. So as folks come to visit, they're hearing the word of God. They are experiencing this new uh, regenerated communal life that should be flourishing within this church body. The church, not only does it minister to believers, but it also produces believers, right? Through that process of the right teaching and the right preaching of God's word. It's not by its own will and power. In the same way that the church is created by Jesus, the living word, uh, John 1, 1 through 18, believers are produced in the church through the preached word of God. And so there is no biblical church apart from the preaching and the teaching of God's word in a manner that's faithful and consistent with the teaching of the apostles and the prophets found in the canon of scripture. If you have a a church that is espousing anything other than biblical principles, then you actually don't have a church. And, and that's a, a a dividing line that I really think we we need to to not only kind of mark out in the sand, but also need to stand upon strongly and give voice to more. There are a lot of churches that are are being commonly referred to as churches that have the name of church, maybe even are associated even in the title with the Bible, maybe, or even with Jesus Christ. But when you hear what's what's being taught in there, in some cases, it's more of self-help type of messages. It's more of positive thinking type messages. It's, it's more kind of new age thinking. And so what ends up happening is that you have people who are attending a church who are hearing messages that don't facilitate the regeneration of the Holy Spirit. They're, those messages aren't bringing anybody to a repentant point, right? A crisis of belief where there's a recognition of their guilt, uh, their sin uh, debt that they owe before a holy and righteous God. But instead, there's just a reinforcement of uh, carnal kind of ways of thinking. And, and carnal, sometimes we, when we think of carnal, we, we go sometimes to lust and, and, and uh, pornography and things like that. But carnal just means not of the spirit. So, so any kind of thinking, any kind of way of being that is, that is not um, led by the Holy Spirit, that's not produced by the Holy Spirit, that is not in alignment with what that which the Holy Spirit would be leading and guiding us, and, and specifically, as we're talking about teaching and preaching within the church that doesn't comport with Scripture, then all that's going to do is feed our carnal desires, the, the carnal part of us. 
and, and, and when our carnal part is being fed, that can never lead to repentance. Hear, hear me when I say that. When, when our carnal part is being fed, that does not lead us to repentance. But what leads us to repentance is the work of the Holy Spirit in our hearts as facilitated by the teaching and the preaching of God's word, namely the gospel of Jesus Christ, about hearing about his sacrifice, hearing about who he is and and what he came to do and our need for a savior and, and him being the perfect sacrifice for us. And so the right teaching of believers in the church really is vitally important, not just because that kind of starts laying the foundation for what a true church is, but it also is important for the maturity and edification of the believers who are in that church. We have a lot of folks within the universal church who are regenerated by the Holy Spirit, who are saved, but in a lot of cases are not being grown in, in maturity or not being edified or aren't being kind of taught as Paul talks about, you know, when he says, hey, look, by this point, I thought you could handle meat, but I'm still having to give you milk. I'm still having to teach you little small, you know, elementary things. But as long as you've been walking with the Lord, basically, as he's saying, as, as I would expect that by this time, you would be able to handle weightier matters of your faith and, uh, and, and about Christ and about spirituality and things of that nature. But again, that is an outflow of the teaching and the preaching that believers are sitting up underneath. And the, the, the right teaching, not only is it important to the maturity and edification of believers within a church, but it leads to not just right understanding, but more importantly, or, or equally important, I won't say more importantly, equally importantly, it leads to right practice. And there is a huge disconnect, unfortunately, within the church, whether we're talking about the local church or even sometimes the universal church. Uh, sometimes there's a disconnect between knowledge and the practice of what we know, right? We, we celebrate information. Uh, we pride ourselves on knowing uh, biblical theology and doctrine, and, and even some have taken it a step further and get thoroughly immersed in apologetics and, uh, and understanding how to answer the criticisms from the world about the faith. And all of that is definitely, to a certain degree, is what we should be about, right? Uh, the Bible tells us that we should be prepared to give an answer for the hope that we believe. But understand, 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 understand that uh, the Bible is not a textbook to be studied so that you know the answers to the test, right? But, but it is actually, as Christ points out to the Pharisees and the Sadducees, right, it points to him. And so, so we engage with the scriptures in hopes of and, and with the aim of engaging with Christ, getting closer to him, um, being more intimate with him. And we, we talked about communing with him. And as that happens, then yes, guess what? We will be able to give an answer for the faith and the hope that we have. We will be able to engage unbelievers. Not, I'm not talking about in arguments on the street corner and debates and back and forth and those kinds of things, as much as I'm talking about being able to, to just engage and talk about what our testimony is with Jesus Christ when he came into our lives and, and the change that that brought in, 
and the regeneration that occurred and the Holy Spirit now working in us to make us what God would have us to be. But sometimes that right practice is, is left behind. And so we, we strive after the understanding, we strive after the information, but we don't actually have the application as much as we would like to, to think that we've got it because we've got some head knowledge about it. It makes me think about what uh, Paul talks about when he says, when he's talking about uh, Israel and how they had a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. And so what what we see oftentimes now is that we've got a zeal for knowledge, but sometimes not according to God, right? We, we, we're not looking for the relationship part of it. Uh, we're looking more for the informational part of it. And then we're secure in that. But that right understanding, if it doesn't lead to right practice, then you, you have some fractured and broken communal lives in the church, right? A, a communal life that, that is, can be cold, that can be very, very judgmental. And, and I don't mean judgmental in the, in the sense that sometimes those outside of the church try to use it. You know, oh, Jesus said, thou shalt not judge or thou shalt you be judged. Now, I'm not talking about just calling sin, sin, as the Bible calls sin, sin. But I'm talking that judgmental that actually Jesus talks about we should be avoiding where you're, you're basically casting, um, you're kind of the, the judge and jury on someone's life and, and not recognizing as you're pointing out the, the speck in their eye, not recognizing the log in our own eye and forgetting, as Paul says, that such were some of us, right? That that all of the things that that we get very quick to kind of look down our nose and to tisk tisk at and to act like we have no patience for and to forget the struggle that sin and the hold that sin can have on someone who has not been regenerated. That is the kind of judgment sometimes that can come from folks who are seeking just right understanding, but haven't equally with the same fervor sought the right practice of what they understand and what they're learning. And so as that infiltrates and as it can infiltrate into the body, um, you end up with a couple of consequences, sometimes unintended consequences. And that is, as, as we kind of alluded to early on, when we talked about the three groups that are in the church, you actually get a, a proxy for what we think salvation means. And so we begin to equate biblical knowledge with salvation. I know a lot, so therefore I must be saved. I've been in church a long time, therefore I must be saved. And we end up not having the biblical symbols of a true church being what defines a true church. So instead of um, baptism and communion being what defines a true local church, we end up using length of service in the church how long your family has been there, spiritual knowledge, how much do you, or biblical knowledge, I won't say spiritual knowledge, biblical knowledge, uh, how much do you volunteer, how much do you give? We give all these other kind of proxies for defining symbols of a true church, of a true believer. And unfortunately, we, we end up kind of doing a, a little bit of a bait and switch within the body. And so we have folks who, as, as we talked about with these three groups, who are unsaved, but yet churched, but they think they're saved. And then we've got some folks who 
are moving through and, and interacting with uh, some of these groups, and it's affecting their communal life experience. Now, when we hear about kind of defining symbols of a, of a true local church, like I said, uh, our minds can run to different kinds of things, to a church's activities, to their programs. How involved are they in the community? Uh, how much are they doing for social uh, action? How, you know, are they engaging the poor? Are they meeting the needs of the community that they're in? And what kind of ministries do they have? And, and again, I, I'm not saying that those things are wrong, but I, I am saying that that's putting the cart before the horse. Because remember, the call for the sinner is to become a part of the body of Christ, to be a part of his church, not necessarily to get involved in programs and ministries, not necessarily to start a soup kitchen, not necessarily to start a clothing drive, uh, because I don't have to be born again to feed the poor. I don't have to be regenerated by the Holy Spirit to look after the sick and shut in. I, I don't have to uh, have the fruit of the Spirit being produced in my life to care for widows and for orphans. And again, those things are good things to be concerned about, and they will be a natural outflow of the Holy Spirit sanctifying us, regenerating our hearts as the love that God has for us through Christ Jesus flows out of us to others. But these are not defining symbols of a true local church. And so again, what is it that sets a true local church apart from any other philanthropic organization? What is it that uh, defines, that distinguishes a local church or, or a true church from any other organization with a mission of benevolence? And very simply, it is the ordinances of baptism and communion. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Complete in Christ podcast. If you have any questions regarding this episode or series, you can send them to questions at completeinchristpodcast.org. Please include your name, where you're from, and the specific episode you're referencing. Also, please take a moment to rate and review the podcast. It gives us feedback that helps us to keep improving and provide some insight for those who may be listening for the very first time. Again, my name is Charles Wright, and until next time, be blessed.